The year is 331 BCE, and it appears that some unknown disease is tearing through Rome. But it quickly becomes apparent that there is a pattern to this disease. It's primarily affecting noble families, and what's more, it's only affecting the men. No one knows the cause, but it's clear that the men of Rome are dropping like flies. second episode of Fables Agreed Upon, a historical true crime podcast. I'm your host, Danny, And I'm your co-host, Quinn. We've got a treat for you today, dear listeners. Today we'll be discussing two different cases. First up, the ancient Roman poisoning ring, in which some 200 women were accused of poisoning the men of Rome. Now, it's been some 2,000 plus years, and I feel safe making this joke and knowing that it's not going to offend anyone, save for maybe a few time travelers here and there. They just girl boss too hard. You're the worst. <laughs> but let's get into it. So, as I mentioned, the men of Rome started dying, all with similar symptoms. They would get sick, and they wouldn't always die, but most of them would. Then, a woman who either worked as a servant or was enslaved, but no one is 100% sure because we're translating from Greek here, tells Quintus Fabius Maximus that it's not a disease at all. Side note. I know last episode you were upset that everyone in 1888 in England had the same names, like lots of Johns and Henrys. This episode we're gonna have basically the opposite problem. Okay, so no one's name is John, but they're all still weird? I mean, they're like ancient Roman and Greek, so weird by our standards. So the woman tells uh, Quintus Fabius Maximus, who I'm just gonna call QFM from here on out, that it's actually not a disease. And if he can essentially grant her immunity, she can explain the whole thing. So he gets approval from the Senate to basically grant her immunity, and they didn't call it that, but that's what it would be by today's standards. And then she leads a bunch of men to where about 20 different women were making potions. So the men of course assume that it's poison, but the two women who are sort of like the highest ranked and like in charge of the group, Cornelia and Sergia, tell them that actually it's just medicine. So the men respond with essentially a dare. They tell the woman, you know, if it's so harmless, if it's just medicine, drink it. So they do, and they pretty much immediately get sick and then die. (laughs) So the other women start immediately informing on like a bunch of other women, I guess to try and get immunity, and they accuse about 170 women in total. So it's sort of like the Salem Witch Trials, you know, basically everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else to try and save themselves, but none of these women ever actually go to jail. So the theories. Some speculate that the women were insane, others that they really thought they were helping and they just didn't know it was poison, otherwise why would they have drank it? And others say it was actually an intentional plot to murder the noblemen of Rome. But here's the thing, and my personal favorite theory, it may not have ever actually happened. (laughs) 
So our main source for this is Titus Livius Patavinus and his History of Rome, written several hundred years later. But here's the thing about old Livy. While he did write an exhaustive history of Rome spanning literal hundreds of books, he was also the first people's historian, which basically meant that he kind of relied less on primary sources like Senate documents and other official sources, and was focusing more on making history feel alive and narratively interesting. I've got nothing against that endeavor, but personally I'm a big fan of using primary sources whenever possible, so it did kind of garner him some criticism. There's speculation that he might have embellished here and there, and, you know, he wasn't really citing, like, you know how today we can kind of, like, look back at, like, people's diaries from that time and things like that? Yeah. So he didn't really do any of that. For the most part, it was just kind of, like, compiling other historians' work and just, like, compiling, like, all the available information. But because he wasn't anyone political or anyone religious, he didn't really have access to, like, Senate archives or Vatican archives. Well, not Vatican, but that sort of thing that a lot of other historians were. They were somehow involved either in politics or religion, so that gave them more records. He was just kind of, like, a dude. Aren't we all just dudes? I mean, some of us are dudettes, or neither dudes nor dudettes. But yeah. <laughs> this entire thing, all I keep thinking about is Cusco's poison. The poison for Cusco. For sure, for sure. <laughs> but so, even more damning than any criticism of Libby, even he himself was not sure that the story was true. So, he basically wrote, and this is translated from, like, the original Greek or whatever, so it's not exactly a perfect quote, but he wrote, I would heartily wish that this other account were a false one, nor indeed do all writers mention it. The circumstances, however, must be stated as it is handed down to us, that I may not detract from the credit of any writer. Which in layman's terms basically amounts to, hey, that's fucking wild. I don't think that's true. I hope that's not true. Only a couple of other historians mentioned it, but you know, just in case it's true, I've got several hundred books to fill, so here you go. So that's actually part of the reason this episode is a two-in-one. Livy is sort of our only surviving source about this, and he didn't even write too much on it, so I didn't really have enough info for a whole episode. So while I do think it would be absolutely hilarious if this was just like one of the world's oldest hoaxes, like completely fake, I also think that if it were real, it would probably be more a case of folks just like messing around with herbs and stuff and accidentally making poison. I mean, doctors used to endorse cigarettes, and George Washington was supposedly leached to death, so it's really not too far-fetched in my opinion. But they what also do you used think? to put cocaine in soda, so... <sighs> those were the days. You wish. I wasn't alive then, but those were the days. <laughs> Can you imagine how much more I'd get done? A little cocaine in my monster? I'm just saying. Monster already probably has some cocaine in it. I have a can right here and it does not. You can read the ingredients. It's got taurine. Ah, yes. And a ton of vitamin Amino D. acids. So my favorite part about most energy drinks, and this is completely off topic, but my favorite part about most energy drinks is they do all have caffeine, but for the most part they just have a ton of vitamin B, which like is the energy vitamin. Uh, five Hour Energy, by the way, has like eight thousand percent of your daily vitamin B in that little bottle. That's why it makes you so peppy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but what do you think, though? Do you think it was, you know, a hoax? Do you think Libby got it all wrong? Do you think they were intentionally killing people? Like, wh where do you stand on that? I don't know. I feel like it's a bit rude to just assume that they were crazy. Because I feel like if it was men, they wouldn't be like, oh yeah, they were just crazy. 
but since it was a whole bunch of women doing it, they're like, oh, they're crazy. We're going to just discredit that it could be anything else. Okay, that's fair. And I, I, I don't want to say, like... Oh, women kill people. They were just crazy. Like, because, like, you're saying, if it were men, that wouldn't even be something they consider. And I get that. I don't think they were crazy. But I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because, like, who in their right mind says, Oh, no, this isn't poison, and then drinks it, knowing full well that it's poison. I mean, yeah, it was probably an accident. It was like how with the Salem Witch Trials, they thought that they didn't know that that fungus that grew on the bread could give them hallucinations. And one of the theories was that they were just hallucinating all of this shit going on. Totally a valid theory. At some point, we should do an episode on the Salem Witch Trials. I feel like that would be interesting. Anyway, so what about you, our listeners? We want to hear your theories, so tweet at us. And now we're going to do a little time traveling, and I'll tell you all about another poisoning ring. So we're going to fast forward here. It's the 17th century, around 1633, and it's Italy. Once again, men are dropping like flies. So marriage in the 17th century was, generally speaking, shitty. (laughs) Teenage girls would be married off to adult men, sometimes twice their age. If you were lucky, he was nice, and if you were really lucky, he was nice and rich. But most of the men were frankly horrible to their wives, just blatantly abusive, and women generally regarded as property rather than people had very little, if any, legal recourse. That's where our protagonist comes in? I'm probably butchering this name. I did look up a pronunciation guide, but I also don't understand how to read pronunciation guides. Gila? I feel like her name is Julia. But spelled Italian. You know what? Yeah. Most likely. Because G-U-I is Guillermo, usually, so, like, the beginning of that name. So that would just be, like, Julia. All right. Julia Tofana was a woman living in Palermo, Italy, and working at an apothecary. She also made money selling poison, because you've got to have a side gig, right? I mean, Imagine in this just having an Etsy, like, oh, welcome to my Etsy, here we sell poison. <laughs> Absolutely. So the poison was called Aquatofana, which kind of sounds like a perfume or something. It's, no, it sounds like that water. It's like aquapana or something. It's water. It's like bottled Aquaponics? water. Aquaponics? Aquaponics is how you grow plants in water. But yeah. It, it's similar. I don't know. So anyway, the poison was called Aquatofana, which sounds like a perfume or something, but it was actually mostly arsenic, probably with a little lead and belladonna too. She dressed it up as a perfume or a healing oil, though, with St. Nicholas of Berry on the bottle. Just a side note, her mother actually poisoned her father and was executed when Tofana was just 13, leaving her an orphan and either unwed or purposefully widowed, depending on the account. Either way, she was obviously strapped for cash, and what better way to make a killing than, well, killing! So the women she sold the poison to would put a few drops in their husband's food every day, and they would develop fatigue, and then stomach aches, vomiting, diarrhea, and then they would die, freeing the women from their awful marriages, or in other cases, ending a decent marriage, but giving them early access to their husband's estate. This small operation quickly grew into a huge black market industry, and it's speculated that she was, at least indirectly, responsible for the deaths of some 600 men. But because the poison was odorless and tasteless and hard to detect in a 17th century autopsy, there's no way to really know for sure. She was, supposedly, even responsible for the death of Mozart, who on his deathbed allegedly remarked, I will not last much longer. I am sure that I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. 
Someone has given me aquatofana and calculated the precise time of my death. Worth noting though, Mozart died in 1791, so probably not Tofana's fault, since she was born around 1620 and would have been about 170. But the poison was apparently somewhat of a household name, so that's the particular one he supposedly meant. But not unlike the poisoning ring several hundred years earlier, Tofana was ratted out. A woman put some of the poison in her husband's dinner, then had second thoughts and stopped him from eating it. He insisted that she tell authorities, and she did. Which, like, narc. But by some accounts, though, her husband did eat a confession out of her, so... So, Tofano was captured and executed in Campo di Fiori in 1659, or 1651, or 1709, or even 1730. Accounts of her death have been greatly exaggerated. Or at least, different historians have pinned down a bunch of different dates. Anyway, regardless of the date, she was executed, and at some point, so were some of her helpers and customers. Sort of a lackluster end for Tofana. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Fables Agreed Upon, a historical true crime podcast. If you like this episode, you can find more on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts, or on our website, which I'll link to in the show notes. Please leave a rating if you feel so inclined. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our username is at FAUpod. That's F as in Felix, A as in Alex, and U as in you, our dear listeners. Our intro music for this episode was Six Cold Feet in the Ground, performed by Leroy Carr in Chicago, 1935, and taken from openmusicarchive.org. Our outro music, which you'll hear in a moment, is Evil Minded Blues, performed by Virginia Liston in Chicago, 1926. We'll see you in a few weeks, listeners. <laughs>